Well, I think the biggest mistake is networking in the first place, you know, thinking of it as networking, thinking of it in transactional terms. If one does go to a networking event, the goal isn't to collect business cards. I think the goal is to find people who are kindred spirits, who you want mm. to build a longer term relationship with. And so I think that's the biggest mistake people make is, is that they actually seek out networking opportunities as opposed to focus on building a network. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Greetings and welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Today, we're focusing on the power of networks. I promise that you're going to think a little bit differently about networking and networks. And yes, there is an important difference between those two terms after you hear my conversation with Jamie Miller. At Talk About Talk, we focus on communication skills to help ambitious executives catapult their careers. We're talking topics like communicating with confidence, personal branding, and yes, networking. You can access Talk About Talk across a variety of media or resources. There's online corporate workshops, one-on-one coaching with me, online courses, the free weekly communication skills newsletter, and of course, this bi-weekly podcast. You can choose whatever works for you, and you can find it all on the talkabouttalk.com website. And while you're checking out talkabouttalk.com, I encourage you to subscribe to the free weekly communication skills newsletter. It's like getting free communication skills coaching in your inbox once a week, and you can sign up on the talkabouttalk.com website. Okay, welcome to episode number 92, The Power of Networks with Jamie Miller. This episode perfectly complements two previous Talk About Talk episodes on networking, if I do say so myself. One that's focused on networking in general, and another one that's focused on online networking specifically. In both episodes, I interviewed executive recruiter Sharon Majin. Sharon offers incredibly valuable advice, principles, I would call them, about what's important to think about when we're networking. So I encourage you to listen to those episodes as well, and I'll leave links to those episodes in the show notes. In this episode, right here and right now, specifically, you'll learn why it's important to distinguish between networks and networking. You'll learn tips for building a strong, valuable network. Plus, you'll learn various options for how you can curate your LinkedIn connections. Let's get into this interview right now. First, I'm going to briefly introduce Jamie, and then we'll get right into the conversation. At the end, I'll summarize the key learnings. So as always, you don't need to take notes because I summarize everything for you at the end of the episode. And you can always access the printable episode show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. So while you're listening, you can just keep doing whatever you're doing. And I realize I need to come up with some new ones here. One of the great things about listening to podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening. Am I right? So whether you're driving or walking or doing housework or hanging out on the couch, or let me see, maybe lifting weights or doing cardio, or maybe you're taking a bath, or putting away the groceries, eating dinner, whatever you're doing, you don't have to lift a finger to take notes because I do that for you. You're welcome. Okay, let me introduce James Miller, or Jamie. I've known Jamie for a few decades in both Toronto and in Boston. Jamie graduated with honors from the University of Toronto with a degree in industrial engineering, and he earned his MBA from Harvard Business School. Yep, he is a smart guy, no question. Early in his career, Jamie worked at Intellect Exchange, 
as well as Fidelity Investments Online Brokerage and Morgan Stanley. He also served as chairman of the Harvard Business School MBA Admissions Board. That would be an interesting job. Then he founded Bonfire Consulting, a firm specializing in the application of social network principles to strategic business opportunities. From there, he became partner at Tapestry Networks. In 2013, Jamie founded Skybridge & Associates to create invitation-only peer networks for leaders. Skybridge offers timely, relevant, and privileged conversations with a community of trusted peers. It's about networks, not networking. Trust, not transactions. And it's about conversations, not conferences. Jamie is also the author of a book called Building Bridges, The Case for Executive Peer Networks. And he hosts a podcast called Building Bridges Podcast, which brings together small groups of professionals for lively discussions about the future of business. And as I said, I promise that you're going to think a little bit differently about networking after you've heard this conversation with Jamie Miller. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us here today to talk about the power of networks. Well, it's uh, great to be here, Andrew. Appreciate the invitation. Let's kick this off by starting with some vocabulary. I would love it if you'd start by sharing with the listeners your take on the difference between networking and networks. Sure. Well, I think this is a common misunderstanding. And I think that a lot of people confuse the noun and the verb, right? So the noun uh, network is very different from the verb networking. And I think, you know, if you think about networking, it's it's in, in, in many ways what we all hate. Right. There's an element of superficiality. It's sort of transactional. There's a whiff of desperation oftentimes associated with networking. And, you know, you sort of want something from somebody. Right. It's a very unpleasant uh, experience. Nobody likes to do it. No one likes to be networked. That's entirely different from the noun, a network. And I think everybody, certainly anyone had any amount of professional success would agree that a strong network is is in many ways critical to their success. And so we all want and need a strong network. Nobody wants to network, right? No one wants the the verb, everyone wants the noun. And and really, I focus primarily in in the work I do on the noun. So you said we don't like to be networked, and it feels very transactional. But can you elaborate a little bit more on why do we hate networking? I guess it comes back to, to no one wants to be sold, right? You know, it, it's like everyone wants to buy something, no one wants to be sold. And I think there's an element with a lot of networking of I'm going to interact with you because I want something from you. I want you to buy something from me, whether it's a financial transaction or some other kind of transaction, which I just think for a lot of people kind of puts their guard up. I think people mistrust it. Really, a strong network is based on a foundation of trust. And in many ways, networking is the opposite. You know, what it's saying is, you know, frankly, we're going to get married on the first date. I don't know you at all. And yet I want something from you, whether it's your business card or your phone number, let's get lunch. And there's sort of this air, like I said, of inauthenticity and kind of a transactional spirit that I think just most people find doesn't really resonate. And, and so I think that's really the problem with networking. And, and how many people really want to go to a networking event? What people want is the end result of that. I think everybody mm. wants a good network. And, and people, for a variety of reasons, think that networking is the only way to develop a strong network. I'm not persuaded that's true, right? At least not the way we think of networking. Okay. So it's not like networking is the antecedent to the output or the result of having a big or a strong network, which actually relates to another question I wanted to ask. But I want to share this quote that I heard of yours, where you said there's a power of peer networks 
to serve as both a source of community as well as a distinctive way to engage with key stakeholders. Yeah. So is this community and this access really the two main benefits of a network? I think so. Look, this is not just a professional community. This is any community, right? This is the communities we live in. These, these are alumni communities we might belong to. This is any community that we might belong to. I think it provides a sense of certainly trust, right? There's a foundation of trust in, embedded in that. I think there's a sense of reciprocity. There's information sharing. There's a degree of sort of collaboration. You know, I, I think ultimately, if, you know, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, where, you know, after our safety and security needs are met, the next level is a sense of belonging, right? A sense of community. And I think that a good community can really provide that sense of belonging. And it's both a sense of belonging to a group of people with whom you feel some kinship, some sense of being kindred spirits. And that can be people who are peers of yours. These can also, by the way, be clients of yours or suppliers of yours, right? People in your professional ecosystem to engage with them on a human level, not just on a professional transactional level. And so I think that's really what I, what I talk about. There's a lot of power in that. I think, frankly, people don't often enjoy that benefit. Too many people are go through their day with these transactional relationships without saying, no, what I really need is to create this community of people who like and trust and respect each other, who are taking a long view. And so that's really what I'm talking about. Oh my goodness, Jamie. First of all, I love your term professional ecosystem as thinking about not just your direct peers, it's people in different industries, functions, and, and roles, right? So your, your clients, your customers, your suppliers, everybody. Everybody, everybody, right. Yeah. You know, other thought leaders, experts, mentors, right? You know, we, we all, if you're at all curious <laughs> and you're at all interested in people, you kind of collect people that you want to stay in touch with, not because you want something from them and not because they want something from you, but rather because you give something to each other, right? Just through your being, through your interactions, through your conversations. And so really that's what we're talking about is building that group, that network of people that you can go to, even if you haven't talked to them in 10 years, there's a trust and then, and, you know, they're glad to hear from you. You're glad to hear from them. Yeah. So, so one of the things I'm hearing from you in a couple of different contexts here is the significance of the short-term versus the long-term view. And what, yeah, when you were describing networking versus networks, I was thinking about communal versus reciprocal relationships, right? From social mm. psychology. And one of the, there is some debate still whether communal relationships actually exist at all. And something that some academics have said, perhaps it's just a longer term reciprocity. Like you always assume that, you're going to you're going to get get back what you give and you're you're not keeping score today. I think you're exactly right. You know, someone who's purely giving 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 is ultimately going to find that that relationship isn't very fulfilling, right? I think there is an expectation that you're going to get something. Now, what you get may be different from what you give, right? It's yes. not like, hey, I'm going to give you this lead, you give me that lead. It might be, you know, you're going to give me an idea or you're going to you're going to give me your attention. There's any number of of things we can give people which aren't financial in nature. But, you know, again, just it's part of being human that, that you know, there's an expectation that we are going to reciprocate. But, but I don't think, it, again, I don't think that has to feel transactional, right? I think that can actually feel very authentic and supportive. Supportive. That's a great word too. So, so you said the currencies could be things like ideas, things like attention, and we're, in your in the quote that I shared previously, there was also access. Can you talk a little bit about access? Access to what? 
again, it comes back to trust. You know, I think we all some. I think it's access to a few things. One, it's it's access to uh, to a person's authentic thoughts and perspectives, right? I think a lot of times when you talk to someone, they initially won't tell you what they really think. And, and at, over time, as you build trust, as, as, as you build the relationship, you gain, more, uh, you gain more access to a person's real beliefs, real opinions, real experiences. Uh, and so I think you certainly gain that type of access. I think, you know, and again, this is going to sound transactional and, and, and it's not, but I think you also gain access to their extended network. You know, mm-hmm. we only know the people we know. Uh, and, and yet the people that we know know a lot of other people. And, and to the extent that, that those second and third order relationships are valuable, and I would, I would assert that they are, um, if you're trying to do anything important, you, know, you, you need access to people you don't already know. Uh, but I think having that pre-existing trust and relationship built up to say, you know, I'm, you know, would you introduce me to such and such? You know, I'd like to, and, and doing the same in return, you know, offering to make introductions in return. Um, again, not, not because you expect something in return, but because it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. You know, hey, there's someone I know that could help you. Let me put you in touch. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that creating that, there's a degree, an element of karma involved, right? Like I, I think, you know, if you do, if you do well by other people, they will in most cases do well by you. Yeah, you can yeah, think it's that access. It's access to everything that a person has, right? Their knowledge, their their relationships, their network, their their experience. Yeah. So you mentioned karma and I was thinking personally, I can tell you so many times of when I've introduced or connected to people, the satisfaction that I derive from that when they say, Hey, thank you so much for that introduction. And guess what happened? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes. Right. (laughs) Look, it's great when the connection bears fruit, obviously, you know, and, and you wouldn't make the connection if you didn't think the people had, had something, it doesn't have to be, and end result, it could just be, hey, I had a great conversation. I really like this person, right? And and I, I think it's actually a great signal for the two people that you introduce because it, it also provides an opportunity for you to express the way you feel about them, right? You know, you know, you know, it's like, you know, John, I'm introducing you to Andrea because I think that you two would really enjoy getting to know each other, right? You know, that type of thing. And and which shows that that, you know, obviously someone that I respect, I'm introducing to someone else I respect, and 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 just the 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 ability to uh to kind of put that that uh respect and admiration into the world is a good is a good thing. It feels good to do. Um, and I think it it, you know, it builds trust. So we're we're dancing all around transitivity theory here too, right? So if I like and know John and I like and know Andrea, then chances are they're going to like each other. And by the way, that is how I met my husband. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I, I look, I, I think a lot of people do meet their spouses. That's the best kind of job search as well, right? The network job yeah. search, you know, this, yeah. uh, this notion that we're going to go online and find a job, you know, one out of 10 times it might work. Right. But, you know, you apply for a job online, there's 400 people applying yeah. for that same job, right? Yeah. 400, 4,000 people. And so it's, it's like buying a lottery ticket versus using a networked approach and, yeah. and saying, and again, it's not about being transactional, it's about building trust and saying, this is a person I would like to introduce to somebody else because I think they may be able to help each other. Right? Brilliant. So, Brilliant. Yeah. So I have a question for you relating to, you know, growing our network through the networks of others is... A bigger network always better. No, I don't think so. I think first of all, we have to define what better means, right? Um, 
because I, I, I think a network has two benefits. I think there is a sort of a functional benefit in terms of all the things I said, right? Um, I, there's a practical limit to how many people we can stay in touch with, sort of maintain trust with. And so, you know, if you had 100,000 people in your network, is that going to be a good? No, because you, you're not going to know most of them. You, 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 they, they probably wouldn't even know you if you passed them in the street. And so, <laughs> so no, I don't think so. You know, there are people who, for instance, on LinkedIn will, you know, just randomly invite people to be part of quote their network, which I think is complete nonsense, right? That, that, that to me is not a network. That's just a collection of names. It's like a mailing list effectively, right? So, so to me, a mailing list of thousands of people on LinkedIn is not a network. A network are people that you could, you could send them an email, you could call them up and they'd be like, Hey, Andrew, it's great to hear from you. You know, thanks right. for the call. Right. right. Um, and, and so I, I think it needs to be the size it needs to be, uh, and it has to be authentic. You know, th this idea that a person can—I I do believe a person can can try to grow their network. And I think there, you know, within reason, there's goodness in more connections, but they have to be for the right reason, right? It has to be mm -hmm. I'm legitimately interested in you. I legitimately want to build a relationship with you, a, build a relationship based on trust. Um, with you. And so I don't think that just clicking and having thousands and thousands of like random kind of loose acquaintances, yeah. I, that's not what I look at as a network. It's not, it's not a network. It's not social media followers. It's not social media followers at all. Now, you know, again, there are, there are stronger and weaker ties, obviously, you know, there's lots of people that I would consider to be part of my network. For instance, people I might've worked with in the past, right. You know, people I worked with, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, clearly in my network. And if I was to call them up today, they would probably be glad to hear from me and vice versa. Um, you know, that's different um, from people that I interact with on a, on a daily basis. And I think you need both. You know, I, I think, I think, you know, you need to be, you know, and that's, that is, I will say one of the great things about link, a tool like a link, like a LinkedIn is that it, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it builds the network. What it allows you to do is to stay in, to be mindful of what these weak ties are doing. Right. You know, so someone that you worked with a decade ago, mm -hmm. you don't you're not in regular contact anymore, but you can you can see where they're working. You see what they're doing. And it kind of creates an opening sometimes to just send them a note. Say, hey, I saw that you took a such and such a job. Really interesting. You know, I'd love to learn more. You know, so it does take work keeping the network active. It's not a passive thing. You have to actively care about people, not for your own sake, but because you're legitimately interested in them. And, you know, hey, so you took this new job. I know somebody that works in that industry as well. Would you, you know, I'd love to love to put you in touch if you thought that would be helpful. Right, those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm just in my mind, I'm thinking about the different types of connections that I have, even just on LinkedIn. Never mind just mm -hmm. generally, but on LinkedIn, right? There's right. the people that I really only know their name and I've maybe seen some posts and I've been impressed with what they've done, but I've never reached out to them. And then there's somewhere, like you said, when they take a new job, right. uh, you congratulate them and you and it's a it is a an efficient way of keeping tabs yeah. on people that you've worked with and you've been connected with in your past. But I've also, right. I've also met some incredible people that I've ended up, for example, interviewing for this podcast mm -hmm. on LinkedIn. And it's, yeah. it's from seeing them, um, you know, make comments that are related to what my audience is interested in, in a way that I thought was really smart. Mm -hmm. And then I get to know them a little bit and boom. Yeah. And, and now they're, I would call a trusted right. colleague. So yeah. I will, I will sometimes, as I think we all do, get inbound uh, requests, right, to connect with people on LinkedIn. And I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but I will rarely accept one of those uh, requests without also uh, having a conversation, right? So, so normally what I'll do is if someone sends me a request, I'll send the person a note, um, either through LinkedIn or if I can find their emails, I'll send it to their email and just say, I saw you, can, you wanted to connect with me. 
I'd, I don't usually accept these without chatting. I think it's a missed opportunity, frankly, to not have a conversation. If someone's taken the time and is interested in you and what you do, it's a missed opportunity to not learn more about them and, and to have that connection. So, so uh, I will generally uh, require that they commit to a call. And if they won't commit to a call, then why am I going to click accept? Right. It seems like such a small thing, you know, if you're not willing to to, to engage on a human level. So, um, yeah, it, it's a kind of a weird quirk. Yeah. So you very beautifully articulated the significance for you of quality over quantity. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Right. So to your question, is it, you know, is bigger, better? Not necessarily. Uh, I think that, you know, having the a, a network of people that you like and trust and who feel the same about you is the most important thing. And by the way. There are a lot of those people, right? So you, you don't have to limit yourself. It's not like, well, we have 10 people that I like and trust. It's like, no, that's nonsense. We all could find a thousand people we like and trust if we if we tried hard enough. Exactly. So so how do we try? What strategies do you think are effective for us to grow a quality network? Uh, well, so first of all, I think it's again, friends of friends are always the best way. You know, if you're if you are depending on whatever you do, you know, if if you're talking with someone, you know, make it known that you you know you want to introduce your friends to other people, and they tend to do the same in return. So I think a part of it is just getting in that habit of thinking about who you know and and how you can connect them with each other. Which, which again, then just creates the environment in which other people then start to connect you with their friends. So I, I think that's a part of it. I think curiosity and is a big part of it, and and, and asking questions. I, actually, this happened yesterday. I was uh, there was um, a person I didn't don't know them um, that came up in conversation. One of our a member of one of our, our networks um, had mentioned somebody and who was actually a friend of a friend. And so I, I contacted my friend and say, hey, you know, I hear really great things about this person. You know, I'd love to have a chat at some point, not because I want to sell them anything, but just because they they operate in kind of this an adjacent space. Um, I thought we might have some things to share with each other, right? Connections, insights, experiences that might be of interest. And, you know, if you feel open to it, I'd love to love to get to know this person. Um, and he said, yeah, happy to introduce you. So in your answer there, Jamie, you said in one of my networks, can you share yeah. with us a little a bit about what your organization does? Sure. So I think the simplest way to, to think about what we do is that we effectively create private clubs uh, for senior executives. Uh, it's really, these are really opportunities for people to have conversations they should be having uh, with a group of people they should be talking to and for a variety of reasons just don't. You know, I think it's one of these one of these sort of ironies of life where, you know, as you, you know, when you start in any job, any, any kind of early in your career, you've got lots of people around you who kind of see the world the same way you do, right? You're in an entry-level job, you got peers, you got colleagues, everybody kind of sees the world. And then what happens is as you get more and more senior, you know, it's like climbing a mountain, right? There, there, there are fewer and fewer people at your level and the air becomes a little thinner. And what you find when you get to a certain point, you don't have to be the CEO, even if you're a functional leader, you find that there really aren't people within the organization who see the world the way you do. You know, you're, you've kind of risen to this mountain peak and you're just sort of looking out over, over a landscape that's very different from what most other people are seeing. Uh, not better or worse, it's just different. And, and you don't have people that you can talk to. You don't have those connections um, internally. And, and, and it, honestly, it's lonely. You know, it, it's a cliche to say that it's lonely at the top. And yet the number of executives we speak with who say exactly that, it, you know, I, 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 I've lost track of. So, you know, what we do basically is we create uh, these little groups of about 20 to 25 people uh, who meet on a regular basis, usually three or four times a year. 
to have conversations with each other that they, again, that they should be having and just aren't. You know, there's a lot of structural barriers that make it difficult for senior people to get together. You know, there's conferences, Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of events, but senior people rarely go to those, you know, and if they do go, they're going to speak and they kind of, they, they do their thing and then they split. Uh, And so there just aren't a lot of chances, frankly, for senior people from different organizations to get together and, and have the kinds of conversations they crave. So I have heard from some of my friends and colleagues who are CEOs, or as you said, in the C-suite, that this is very true for them, that it actually is very lonely. And the, but the other thing that I hear from them is that the people that are reaching out to them, they sometimes question whether they should trust these people, right? So you're, mm. you're providing these network members with a trusted network. Are they peers that are indirect competitors, direct competitors, or do you somehow make sure that they are not competing at all? There's many ways you can slice a, a peer network. You know, you can slice it by role, you can slice it by industry, you can slice it by age, you can slice it by a geography. We generally do networks that are either around a particular role and or around a particular industry. Okay. So how do you encourage these people in the same discipline and or the same industry to build trust? In most jobs, there is strategic competitive information that they're not going to share. And they shouldn't share. Right? If, they're, if you're in a public company, for instance, you shouldn't share non-public information right. with, with anyone. Forget about your competitor. You shouldn't share with anybody. And so, yes, there's certain things that are going to be off balance. No question. There's generally three types of topics that, that we talk about in our groups, I would say. So the first are issues that are external to people's organizations. These are industry trends. You know, this could be regulation, you know, any number of things that are happening in the world. And and so the, the question there isn't so much what's happening. You know, everyone's up to speed. These are sophisticated people we work with. But it's really more the it's not. So it's not the what it's the so what and the why. Mm-hmm. you know, how does this matter? You know, why is this happening? What does this mean? And there's enormous amount of value in that. Right. That's not really competitive. It is, I guess, a little bit on the margin. But, you know, ultimately, most com- the basis of most competition is going to be execution anyway. Right. So so saying, you know, hey, there's a new regulation that's being proposed. What does that mean? How do we think about it? Is this good or bad? You know, what, what are the long term consequences? Those are great conversations that people want to have with other sophisticated people who are kind of looking at the issues in the same way. And so so that's one type of topic. The second set of topics generally are around matters that are internal to an organization. Policies, practices, procedures, you know, how do we do what we do? And And we're not proposing that there's a better or worse, right? We're not saying this is best practice. Every organization has a different history, a different culture, a different geographic footprint. Thing. And, and so the, the topics tend to really be more around the assumptions that people are making, which is fascinating. Again, just understanding other people's assumptions is really the, a, an incredibly enlightening takeaway. You know, sometimes it confirms that people are doing things right. You know, hey, we're all doing things kind of the same way. We all have a, you know, we all have a marketing department. Isn't that interesting? Right. <laughs> but if someone says, no, we've, we've done away with our marketing department, huh? That's fascinating. Tell me more, right? You want to learn more about why and kind of what the assumptions were behind that. So, so that's the second set of topics or these internal matters. And then the third set of topics tend to be more personal. You know, how can you become a better leader? How do you balance a successful professional life with a rewarding personal life? How do you learn to manage stress? I, I would love to be a fly on the wall, especially for the third topic that you said, the personal mm. and professional, the leadership, the communication skills, all yeah. that, all that stuff. Fascinating. Yeah. So the idea is, you know, we create these groups and then we run them, you know, for years and years and years and years. And, and you know, what you find in, in the early meetings is it's sort of low hanging fruit and, and people are, 
feeling each other out a little bit. That trust hasn't yet built. Yeah. Um, and so people are, are reluctant to be very vulnerable or, or sort of really show their, their weaknesses. Everything's, you know, sunshine and unicorns. Uh, and then what you find is that by, by about, you know, the third or fourth or fifth meeting, people start to become more vulnerable. And that's when those, those more personal topics really come to the fore. Uh, people are willing to say, I'm really having a hard time with this, or I'm wondering how to, you know, I, I, you know, I'm wondering how to have more influence in my organization. You know, I feel like I'm doing a great job and yet I'm not really being taken as seriously as I should be. Uh, you know, how can I, how can I be more effective? What, what are things other people have done to build that, that authority, that authority? So I think a key theme here is trust, just based on this entire conversation and based on the whole phenomenon of networks and networking. All right. And speaking of themes, your firm is called Skybridge Associates and your book, which I read a couple of years ago, is Building Bridges. So can you talk about the bridge metaphor as it relates to networks? Absolutely. The bridge metaphor is really important to me. If you just think about what a bridge does, right? A bridge takes you from where you are to where you want to be, mm -hmm. uh, generally over some sort of danger, whether mm -hmm. it's a road or a river or something, right? So, so you're trying to get from one place to another and get over something dangerous. And so that's really what this is. To me, it's a mechanism to go on this journey. You know, again, I often will use the mountain metaphor as well, where, you know, you're standing on top of the mountain. In order to get to the top of another mountain, normally you would have to go down your mountain, along the road, up the other mountain. And there's a lot of friction there, right? Whereas if you build a bridge, because there's a virtual bridge in the sky connecting the mountaintops, that allows people much more easily to interact with each other. And so that's really the, the, the origin of the sky bridge metaphor, bridging people, bridging ideas, bridging relationships. Beautiful. So before we get into the five rapid fire questions, Jamie, I just wanted to ask you a couple of more sort of tactical questions. The first one is, what mistakes do you see people making, the most common mistakes you see people making when they're networking? Uh, well, I think the biggest mistake is networking in the first place, you know, thinking of it as networking, thinking of it in transactional terms. If one does go to a networking event, the goal isn't to collect business cards. I think the goal is to find people who are kindred spirits, who you mm. want to build a longer term relationship with, right? And and so I think that's the biggest mistake people make is, is that they actually seek out networking opportunities as opposed to focus on building a network. A, a strong, high quality network. A strong, high quality network, which by the way, yeah. takes time. It takes effort. It takes authenticity. It takes goodwill. It has to come from a spirit of generosity. I, I think the people who have great networks, and I don't mean just, these are people who are generous people. Yeah, you very much remind me of my friend, Sharon Majin, who I interviewed about networking mm. for a previous episode. And she's all about being generous, adding value, and definitely, certainly not expecting anything in return. Right. Sounds like Sharon and I should meet each other. Yeah, yeah, you should. You, oh. this, is a network, this is a networking opportunity, Andrea. Can I connect you, Jamie? Of course. I would, love I would love to. to. Yeah. Of course. I like I said, I, I I always love love to meet kindred spirits. They push me to think. Yeah. Sharon does that for me, and so do you. So there we go. Transitivity theory in action. Perfect. My last question is probably the most tactical, but do you have any suggestions for online networking in particular? I don't think online or offline makes any difference, honestly. You know, a lot of it comes down to being somewhat intentional, knowing the kinds of people you want to get to know. And knowing the kinds of people that you do know that you want to introduce to others, it's not about being in person, about being in the office. Frankly, some of the best networks are those outside your own organization. I don't think there's anything different. I don't think COVID has changed anything in terms of the tactics of building a strong network. I really don't. I think if anything, it's made it easier. I think, frankly, the prevalence of Zoom has actually made it easier to build a network. I think it allows people to build trust much more quickly than they might have previously. 
Yeah, I, I agree actually a hundred percent. I wasn't expecting you to say that, but I agree. And mm-hmm. I, I love your answer though. It's really about your intention. And when it comes to the intention, the medium through which you're communicating, whether you're at a cocktail party downtown in a big hotel, right? Or yeah. whether you're on, in a Zoom meeting with, with two people or with 20 people, it's about your intention. It's about your intention, right? And and you know the problem with the with the cocktail party downtown. I, I, I first of all I avoid those like the plague, but <laughs> usually it's such a scattered group of people. You know, you kind of look around and you're like, how did I get in this room? Like, you know, who are these people? How did I end up in this room? You know, you're looking around and everyone's kind of checking their phone because they want to seem like they're incredibly busy, right? Because they <laughs> want to feel like a loser. That that and and so there's this pathetic element to it. And eventually, like someone comes up to you and you just pray that that, that someone who's remotely interesting, right, and, and 10% of the time they are, versus, like I said, a, a more, what I would argue is a more authentic way of, quote, networking uh, or building a network, which is, you know, the old fashioned way. You know, I got a friend that I think you might like, or I've seen something you've read. I'd love to chat with you. I think we might have some common interests or I'd like to introduce you to someone I know, right? Which is a much, weirdly a much more authentic way. You'd think that the in-person kind of all together in the same room would be, would be more authentic. It's actually not. It's a very yeah. kind of weirdly inorganic way of meeting people. I can't think of a single person that I've met at a quote networking event that I could call this morning and mm. you know they would know who I am. Interesting. Well, you haven't met yeah. Sharon yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but 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 the point is, I'm going to meet Sharon a different way. I'm going to meet Sharon yeah. because you're going to introduce me to Sharon, which yeah. is very different from going to an event that those never lead to anything. Sometimes in the moment, they lead to a pleasant conversation. You might learn something. Hey, I met a really interesting person. That was nice. You know, let's get coffee. And then 99% of the time, you never get coffee. I'm, I'm not opposed to social graces, but I, I don't think that it's really a very effective way of getting to know people. So all hail the Zoom networking opportunity. I'd love to move on now to the five rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one, what are your pet peeves? I have many. Um, I have many and I have few. I'm a pretty tolerant guy. Uh, look, I, I think professionally, my pet peeves, I have two uh, with regard to LinkedIn. We've talked about that. The one is, and I think this is, I'm probably not the only person to say this. I hate when people say that they are humbled by something. Uh, you know, if, if you have won a Nobel Prize, I think you have the right to be humbled. I think if you have taken a job, a, a mid-level position at a uh, at a mid-level company, to say you're humbled to take that job is insane. Uh, and so I, I, I can't stand it when people say they're humble. Like, you may be proud, you may be yeah. whatever, but so I, I hate the word humbled in that context, unless you want a Nobel Prize. <laughs> and I also can't stand LinkedIn's increasing prevalence of the polls that people are putting up. To me, it is the uh, online equivalent of clickbait. I find it it to be, you know, people ask questions as though they actually care about the answer, which I don't think they do. Yeah. Um, Question number two, what type of learner are you? I love to read. So I I definitely, you know, am visual in that regard. I find that I tend to do pretty well listening. You know, I enjoy, I listen to people all day. And so I, I learn a lot from that. Honestly, though, the way I take all of what I have read and listened to and make sense of it is by talking. Uh, as you can probably figure from this podcast, I, I, I'm not afraid to talk. And I would describe myself as a verbal learner. Nothing really gets loaded into memory, long-term memory, unless I have said it out loud. 
Hmm. So you learn by talking. I've heard, I've heard learn by teaching. I haven't heard learn no. by talking. That's a good one. True. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. It's ver verbal learning. So Jamie, I just have to say, welcome to talk about talk. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Question number three, introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Yeah, I'm extrovert. I, I, I get a lot of energy from other people, um, which, 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 you know, I, I enjoy solitary time too. I'm not afraid of being by myself, but I get a lot of energy by being around other people. Ditto. Okay. Question number four, communication preference for personal conversations. What media do you like to use? Depends what, what kind of conversation, you know, if it's quick transactional stuff and text is good. I, I think primarily phone and Zoom, right, are going to be the best. You know, most of the time in a personal conversation, there's some amount of nuance. I can't stand long text or, you know, email chains. I think it's sometimes it's easier just to pick up the phone and talk about something. All right. Last question. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending? In terms of blogs, the ones I really like, uh, there's a daily blog that Seth Godin does, um, yeah. which I think is fantastic. Seven out of 10 are good. One out of 10 is genius. There's very few that are bad. Scott Galloway, love his email, which sort of always tees things up in a provocative way with graphics and a whole bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. And then th there's a third one that I really like. And, and again, it's not for everybody, but there's this fellow, Ryan Craig, who's actually Canadian, who has something called The Gap Letter. He's a higher ed expert and has a, a venture capital firm called University Ventures, which is really looking at the future of higher ed. And, mm. and Ryan is an unbelievable writer, just unbelievable. Whether or not you're interested in the topic, he always makes you think. And so huh. I, 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 love, uh, I love his huh. newsletter. Well, I'm also a, a fan of Seth Godin and a big fan of Scott Galloway. And Ryan Craig, I ha hadn't heard of. I'm gonna leave links for all of those in the show notes. Before I let you go, is there anything else you mm. want to share about the power of networks? The one thing I would say about the power of networks is that, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is to actually not just be in a network yourself, but to create a network mm. uh, and to support a network for your clients, recognizing that they probably need this and probably don't have it. Creating these networks, being in the room as they talk with each other, you obviously build relationships, true, true authentic relationships, right? Not transactional. You gain insights into market needs you would never, you never understand. You know, the beauty of sponsoring a network is that you get access to those insights of what your clients are dealing with that you'd never hear otherwise. And then the third is that it just it creates a branding opportunity to show that you care. Right? It's so hard in life to show that you care about people mm. and, and that you're committed to their success. And so uh, that, that's the other thing I guess I would say is, is that built that is not just about being in a network. It's also providing and supporting and fostering a network for other people. Very well put. And as you're saying that, Jamie, I was thinking this is the segue to maybe part two of this conversation at some point where we talk about the power of communities. And it's just a little bit different. It's subtly different mm -hmm. from the power of a network, right? And and I was thinking maybe someday I'll be able to sponsor one of your net your networks and I'll be right. you know, sponsored by Talk About Talk. <laughs> right. Look, there, there are people that will hire us to as a third party, which is fine, but you don't have to hire a third party. People can do this on their own. Yeah. It, not everyone has the budget or, or so forth to, to justify that doesn't mean you can't still do it right any person can offer whether it's a quarterly dinner whether it's a roundtable session whatever you know that's not focused on you presenting to them so many 
of these things are like, let me, you know, let's get together and I'm going to walk you through a PowerPoint deck on some topic of expert. No, don't do that, right? Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. get people together and you run a conversation where they talk with each other and you just mm -hmm. sit quietly mm -hmm. and listen. And anyone can do that. You could do that. Anyone can do that. Create it. Just saying every quarter, I'm going to organize a 60 minute Zoom call with, with my biggest clients to have them talk to each other. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jamie, for sharing all your thoughts on the power of networks. This was a fantastic conversation. I'm thinking about networks and networking a little bit differently than I was before this conversation. So thank you. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Well, I am definitely thinking a little differently about networking now. Aren't you? Jamie is right. I hate being networked. And at the same time, I value my network very, very much. Thank you so much for this conversation, Jamie. I really learned a lot. You can find Jamie's coordinates in the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. As you heard, he is a smart and generous guy, and I encourage you to connect with Jamie on LinkedIn, but only if you're up for a phone call to truly connect. Okay, as promised, I'm now going to summarize some of the key learnings. I categorize these learnings into three things. One, networking versus networks. Two, tips for building a strong, valuable network, and three, how to think about your network, and in particular, your LinkedIn profile. Okay, first, networking versus networks. As Jamie emphasizes, no one likes networking, the verb, and certainly no one likes to be networked. On the other hand, most of us value our network, the noun. So let's look at these terms. First, networking. All too often, networking means going to boring conferences and collecting business cards. Maybe suggesting we do lunch, but then rarely following through. Many people also equate networking with transactions. An ask. A sales job. Networking the verb? Yuck. The other term is network. A network is a community of supportive, trusted, kindred spirits. As Jamie highlighted, networks really provide two main things, access and community. So in terms of access, Jamie talked a lot about providing value in terms of introducing people, providing access to people, making connections with kindred spirits. This is about being a bridge, the bridge metaphor. And community, community as in your group of kindred spirits, a supportive community that shares insights, ideas, collaboration, listening, even just paying attention. The sense of community in your network is authentic and supportive. A network is trust. As Jamie says, what we really want from a network is, quote, a community of people who like and trust and respect each other, who are taking the long view. Trust is an imperative for strong networks. Okay, so that's the first point the important difference between networks and networking. Moving on then to tips for building a strong, valuable network. The thing we all need to remember when we're seeking to build a strong network is to be generous, to add value. Jamie certainly advocated this, as does my friend, executive recruiter Sharon Majin, whom I've interviewed twice about networking. Sharon's line, she says, how can I help you? I love it. Jamie also mentions that it's not easy to cultivate, nor is it easy to maintain a network, but it's worth it. If you proactively maintain your network, congratulating people on their promotions, meeting up and touching base, 
providing access to your extended network for others, chances are at some point they may do the same, offering to make introductions for you in return. Also in terms of building a strong, valuable network, at the end of our conversation, Jamie brought up something that I hadn't considered, the opportunity for each of us to create a formal network. And yes, this is exactly what Jamie's firm Skybridge does as a third party. But as he mentioned, you could independently do the same thing. For example, you could set up quarterly dinners or maybe Zoom calls for folks who want to establish or maintain connections and learn from each other. Imagine. So those are a few great tips from Jamie for building a strong, valuable network. The last point I want to summarize for you is how to think about your network and in particular, your LinkedIn network. Jamie and I both advocate for focusing on quality, meaningful relationships. We need to be conscious or strategic about our network. This is Jamie's point about intention. He brought up intention a few times. So for example, for your LinkedIn network, you need to decide whether you will connect with people who are otherwise strangers. There may be many ways to think about this, depending on your business, your objectives, and even your personality. But the point is to be intentional. Jamie's LinkedIn connection strategy is to say yes to almost anyone who wants to connect, but then only connect if they agree to a short phone call. He wants to know every person that he's connected to on LinkedIn. Another strategy might be to only connect with people whom you knew previously outside the context of LinkedIn. Years ago, this is what I did. Nowadays, I probably say yes to 95% of the people who send me a connection request. The only ones who I decline are the ones who actually declare the fact that they're going to try and sell me something in their title or in their headline. You know the ones. Usually their title is something like, helping coaches with lead generation. I promise to quadruple your sales, blah, blah, blah. Those are the folks whose connection requests I decline. And then if I do accept a connection request and immediately after we make the connection, they go into sales mode, I usually ignore them. And sometimes if I'm feeling a little snarky, I'll remove the connection or I'll block them. And there's even been a few people who I've told back off, but I digress. My point here is to be intentional. Think about what your strategy is for making connections on LinkedIn. And Jamie made a great point that we should all keep in mind. This is relevant for all of us when we're on LinkedIn. There is an important difference between who you would say is in your network and your social media followers. And we need to decide what we want our LinkedIn network to be. Okay, there's one last thought I'm gonna leave you with. Jamie mentioned that he really doesn't think it matters that much whether you're networking in real life or online. There's not a lot of difference. And if anything, it's easier to network online. But regardless, it comes down to being intentional. So ask yourself, are you collecting business cards or are you finding kindred spirits? Hmm. Okay, that's it. The difference between networking and networks, tips for building a strong, valuable network, and how to think about your network, particularly your LinkedIn network. Thanks again to Jamie for pushing us to think about networking just a little differently. And that's it for this episode on the power of networks. Again, you can find the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. Just click on the podcast tab and you'll find it there. And while you're there, I really hope you'll sign up for the Talk About Talk newsletter. This is your chance to get free communication skills coaching from me every week in a simple to digest weekly email. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to sign up or email me directly and I'll add you to the list. 
I love hearing from you. You can email me anytime at Andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon.